why I rarely, if ever, give my family a microphone because they will tell you all my quirks and all my, my funny things I don't want anybody to know. But I'll share one with you this morning, a little quirk of mine, a question, uh, you know, a deep life question that I wrestle with often. Here's the question that I'm always trying to answer. If I was on death row and I got to choose my final meal, what would it be? What would I choose to put on my plate for that? Maybe it's the same way of saying what's your favorite food with just a little more intensity, right? And, and it used to be I think I'd put a cheeseburger, probably a bacon cheeseburger on that plate and enjoy that, you know, double cheese, maybe triple cheese just to make it good for the last time. Who cares about your cholesterol then, right, if it's your last meal? Um, but I think over time it's faded. I think maybe I'd go more Italian uh, this time. Um, although often it changes according to what's on the table in front of me. Just finish a great meal off and push my chair back away and say, you know what, honey, if this was my last meal ever, I would choose this one. Kind of a, not the nicest way to compliment a good meal, but it works, it works. But then I thought, I was thinking about that the other day, I thought, you know, really the question, the most important question isn't what would be on my plate for that last meal. The most important question really would be who would be around that table for my last meal? If you knew that you were going to have your last, this is your last dinner ever for whatever reason it is, who would you invite to sit around that table and share that moment with you? That's the real question, isn't it? Because that's what really matters. You choose the people that you love the most, that you, that you want to share life with the most. It'd be a pretty intimate and personal, pretty emotional time if you knew this was your last meal. And so the, the who of the meal would seem to be much more important than the what of the meal. Because there is great meaning and there is great power behind the simple act of eating together. Something we do every day and, and often fail to recognize or appreciate the meaning and the power behind that action. Because eating together carries very significant meaning and power. It does for us, but it also did for this, does for this community called the church. And we learn that from the, from the first century church that we get to see pictures in Acts chapter 2. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46 together, as we're learning together what it means to live life in community, to live life together. We're in the middle of that series, right? And, and we're using that picture that Luke gives us to understand what it means for us to be living in community, to live life together. And so we started two weeks ago by recognizing the value of being in community together, how we're designed to be with people, to be in community, because it's in community that we will be more fully who God designed us to be. It's in community that we'll find wholeness and healing. It, and it's in community where God has said he will relate with us in a special way. Then we began to look at the specific things that that first church did in order to, to develop that community. Last week we started with worshiping together, right? That community worshiped together. And we're going to get to other churchy things, the things you would expect a church to do, like, like learning and serving together. But it's a little surprising. I don't know if it kind of surprised you as we read that passage. Because tucked in the middle of that description that Luke gives us, he tells us specifically that this community of Jesus Christ ate together. In fact, it's important enough that eating together is important enough that he mentions it twice 
He doesn't mention prayer twice. He doesn't mention worship twice. But he mentions that they ate together twice. In verse 42, Acts 2, 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then in verse 46, at the end of that paragraph, it says, they broke bread together in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Shows up twice, which means it doesn't show up there accidentally, or just something in passing that just kind of showed up. No. This is something Luke specifically wanted us to know that they did together as the community of Jesus Christ. This community of faith shared meals together on a regular basis. They did all the things you'd expect a church to do. Worship, serve, pray, study, and they went to each other's homes and they ate meals together. It seems a little strange. But sitting around the table, when you think about it, And sharing a meal together is a sign of a personal and intimate relationship with somebody. A relationship that is already intimate and personal and one that you want to get even deeper. That's what happens around the table. You don't eat a meal most often with people you don't like. Okay, yet maybe you get stuck at a wedding reception or some fundraising dinner with somebody you don't know. And those can be long evenings, right? But usually... The people around your table are people you love. It's people you want to share your life with. You want to build relationship because around a table, around a meal, is where we reveal not only the details and facts of our day, hopefully as a family, but it's often where you reveal the feelings of your hearts, the disappointments in your life, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your desires. It's where we reveal ourselves to people. And so it's the people you love the most, your family, your close friends that you invite to come eat at your home or you go to their home or you meet at a restaurant and around the table you share life. You experience true community. And that is what this first century community was for each other. They were spiritual family together. They loved and trusted each other with the true details of their lives. And they desired to grow that relationship even deeper, even stronger. So what did they do? They went to each other's homes and they broke bread and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I hope that within this community called Ivan Rest Church, that you, each one of us, has a relationship, has somebody that you dare to eat with. Somebody where you would be comfortable sitting around the table and sharing life with and that you want to know them even better and you want to be known by them even better. You know, we've talked about life groups. We're we're revamping life groups right now, restarting those. Really, that's a picture of one of the things life groups is all about. It's about getting you in a smaller community. Because you can sit here in this room together. You're all facing the front, and you don't sit around, and you share life together. But in life groups with just a couple, a few other families, is where you sit around the table, sometimes often with food, with dinner together. And all of a sudden, life happens. And relationships happen. And community happens happens so I hope you're thinking about considering that but also there's another part because when you stop to think about eating together 
And when we understand that action in the context of the first century church, we find that it carries a lot more significant meaning and purpose as well. You see, in the New Testament culture that that the Bible was written in, eating together was, yes, a very intimate activity, but it's also an intimate activity that made a very public declaration. Dinners were often public things that people could see, could look in the window and see who was at the table. And sitting around the table together was a public sign of solidarity. It signaled both recognition and acceptance. It signaled a unity with that person. So we can find evidence of this high value of eating together all throughout the New Testament. If I take out your Bibles, we're going to glance at some of those stories. We're going to start with Acts chapter 11, page 1067 in the Bibles you have in front of you. Let me tell you the background of Acts chapter 11. In in Acts chapter 10, Peter is invited to Cornelius' home. Cornelius was a Roman He was a Gentile, not a Jew. And up till this point, this Christian faith was still very much a Jewish faith. Right? They still followed all the Jewish patterns and traditions like circumcision and all the holiness laws, all the dietary restrictions and what they could and couldn't eat. It was still very much a Jewish thing. Well, God reveals to Peter that this is a brand new era. And he sends him to Cornelius' house. And he ends up not only, Peter ends up not only associating with these unclean Gentiles, but when the Holy Spirit comes on Cornelius and his whole household, Peter baptizes them into the family of God and accepts their invitation to stay with them as their guests. Radical things. Now, notice at the start of chapter 11 how the conflict between Peter and these firmly Jewish-only believers is framed. Listen to verses 1 through 3. It says, The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, and they said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Notice their accusation. The issue is that he ate with them. He went and sat around their table and had dinner with them. That's their charge against him. And and I think part of it was probably what he ate, clean and unclean foods. But I think their bigger concern was just the fact that he sat down at that table in their house sharing a meal with the Gentiles. Because by doing that, Peter, as a leader of the church, right, a disciple and an apostle, communicated to the whole world that he accepted them and was in solidarity with them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he declared his oneness, his unity with them by eating with them. It was an action that obviously carried great significance Great meaning. But turn forward uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, page 1108. Here is the apostle Paul this time, who's helping this early church maintain purity in the face of of blatant rebellion and sin. There's, There's people within the church community, hypocrites, who are blatantly living in sin, choosing sin, and yet also saying that they're following Jesus Christ. It's pure hypocrisy. And in verse 11, 
he commands the true believers not, not to associate with those hypocrites. And at the very end, notice, notice how he ends the verse. The last de- declaration he gives is, with such a man, do not even eat. Isn't it interesting you say that? Don't even eat with them. Don't sit around the table for a meal with them because that will give affirmation of their hypocrisy. That declares a solidarity with them that you should not be declaring. If you read the rest of that paragraph ahead of time, it's interesting. He says this, is, this only counts for hypocrites within the church. If you have sinners who are unbelievers, please go eat with them. Be in the world We can't separate ourselves from the world. They don't know any better. Eat with them with the intention of bringing them to Jesus, of course. But for the hypocrites within the church, don't even eat with them. Don't sit down with them. One more, Galatians chapter 2, page 1,129. Galatians 2. Here Paul is actually calling out Peter for his hypocrisy. Remember, Peter ate with Cornelius. He ate with the Gentiles and signaling his solidarity with them and and his acceptance of them as Gentile Christians. Well, when Peter returned then to Jerusalem, he pushed his chair back away from that table. He wouldn't eat with Gentiles when he was in Jerusalem. Listen to Paul's accusation, verses 11 through 13 of Galatians chapter 2. Paul writes, "When, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Eating together, that's a... For Paul to use that language, obviously this was a big deal. Eating together is a really big deal. It's enough of a big deal that Paul's willing to go toe-to-toe with Peter to get him back around that table, to sit down with those Gentiles and share a meal with them. Eating together has, has a powerful message. It declares, I'm with him, I'm with her. I accept them, I stand beside them as a brother and sister. So with that, with that powerful message in mind, isn't it interesting to think back to the gospel stories, to think about who Jesus chose to sit down around a table and eat a meal with? Right? I, yeah, obviously, he, he often sat and shared that meal with his disciples. But you wouldn't expect to see him sitting around the table with Simon the leper. A leper, people who, who the rest of the world says don't associate with. And yet there he is, sitting at the house of Simon the leper. You wouldn't expect him to be sitting around the table with Matthew the tax collector and all of his tax collector friends that Matthew invited to dinner, but there's Jesus sitting in Matthew's house with all his tax collector and sinner friends, much to the irritation of the Pharisees. You wouldn't expect him to rush to Zacchaeus' home. There's plenty of other more holy people that Jesus would probably It'd be more appropriate for him to say, I'm with him. And yet he chooses Zacchaeus. And he sits at Zacchaeus' table and eats a meal with him. Right? And sitting down, as he so often did with what they called the tax collectors and sinners, 
Jesus makes a powerful statement of his solidarity with them. He sits with them, accepting who they are in the hopes of loving them to where God wants them to be. You know, there's a beautiful example of that just this past week. I don't know how many of you have been following Pope Francis's visit to the United States this past week. It's a pretty significant event, both politically and, and spiritually as well for our country. But one part of his schedule especially caught my eye. Maybe you read about this, but on Thursday, Pope Francis addressed the full session of Congress, right? Probably the most powerful body in the world. Very significant moment for him to have that speech before Congress. The, the, the tradition is when a special speaker comes and addresses Congress, that afterwards they're invited to lunch with the key leaders of Congress. And Pope Francis was invited to have lunch with the most powerful people in the world, right? To share a meal with them. He turned down their invitation. And instead, he had lunch with the homeless in Washington, D.C. He went and served with a Catholic charity and sat around the table with the homeless. What a, what a message of solidarity. Here's who I stand with. Here's who I sit. Here's who I choose to eat with and be in relationship with. It's not the powerful of the world. It's the ones who need me. Makes a huge declaration of solidarity still today. And that's why we are invited. That's why we even are commanded to eat together in this community. It's around the table that we share life at a deeply personal level. Jesus calls us to be the family of God. The family of God. And families are where you share life deeply with each other. Families are where you accept each other. Families stand in solidarity with each other, even if we don't agree on everything, right? And those things happen. We learn how to do that when we eat together. Right? So this afternoon is our annual church picnic. Right, we've, we've had church picnics all throughout the summer, but this is the big one. And I hope that you're coming. I hope you signed up to be a part. And I hope you're coming not just to enjoy some really good chicken, and it will be good chicken. All right? I hope you're coming to share life together with your family. I hope you're coming to welcome each other into this corner of God's family called the Ivan Rest Church Community. I hope you go intentionally to sit down next to someone. I know you're, maybe you'll sit down next to a friend, someone you know well. That's always where we're first drawn, right? And if you do, share life together with that friend. Dig deeper into relationship together. Maybe you'll go this afternoon and you'll make a different choice. And you'll choose to find someone who has an open seat next to them, someone you don't know. And your relationship will begin with somebody new in the family of God. I know that some of you are disappointed that we don't have our evening service and we do this picnic instead. But I hope you realize and recognize that this is more than just another picnic. This is obedience to God's design for us as community because it's around the table that we be and become community as God desires us to be and become. And I hope that's what you will experience tonight. It's also around a table with food that we get a little taste of what heaven is like. That's what Jesus tells us in Luke 22. 
Luke 22, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he promises them a place, he says, to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus pictures eternity and us with him in eternity, he pictures a dinner table. A dinner table with chairs all around and says, hey, there's a chair for you. There's a place for you around the dinner table in my kitchen, and I can't wait till we get to sit down together for eternity around that table and share life together. And you know, the taste of heaven that we get now here on earth around the table doesn't depend on the food, right? It can be a burger or it can be broccoli. It doesn't matter. What matters to get a taste of heaven is the community around the table. The taste of heaven comes from being in loving relationships with people who know us and love us and we can know and love. The taste of heaven comes from growing relationships that have Jesus at the center. That's what the perfection of heaven will be, a feast waiting for us, a place reserved for you where we will experience true community with Jesus and with each other around the table. So we get a taste, get a taste of when we sit together. So that first century church teaches us to share dinner together, to share the meal together, to share relationships together deeply. And they also teach us to share Jesus together around that table. You see, in Acts 2, 42, the first verse that I read to you, where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, that breaking of bread is different from the verse 46 breaking of bread and eating together in each other's homes that we've been talking about all morning. This one, this breaking of the bread, is talking about the most intimate meal that was ever shared. Right, Jesus just before he was betrayed, just before he was arrested, just before he was killed, he gathered his disciples around the table one last time. He knew it was his last meal. So he surrounded that table with the people that he loved the most. And at this meal, he revealed to them. He shared his heart to them, and he showed them the extent of his love. He said, I love you enough that I'm going to give myself over to be tortured and killed and to die for you. I love you enough that I'm going to do this because I know that this sacrifice is the only way to make it possible for you to sit around that table, my table, for eternity. And he served them the meal, right? The bread and the juice. He said, this bread is like my body, and this juice is like my blood. And when it was all done, he told them to share this meal together again and again and again. Share my body, share my blood around this table with this food until we get to finally share it together in my Father's kingdom. And so they did, Luke tells us. They broke the bread of communion. They drank the wine of communion in order to share the truth and the presence of Jesus in their community. And so we do as well. This morning, we're gonna break the bread together in community, as the family of God. And when we do, we, we share the truth of Jesus Christ. We share what we believe. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that Jesus rose again. We believe that he paid the price and forgives us of our sin and has set us free to be the family of God now here on this earth and for eternity. And there's a place at God's kingdom table set for me. I believe that by his body and his blood. 
And when we break the bread together as a family of God, we also share the presence of Jesus within this community. He's at the heart of this community. He's, he, it's his table that we're welcome to. And we see him, we recognize him, and we experience his presence. Remember the story after Jesus rose of his walk to Emmaus? He's walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles, and he walks alongside of two of his disciples, and they don't recognize him. I mean, why would they have guessed that Jesus would be alive after they saw him killed, right? And, and so they're walking with this stranger. They don't know who that is, Jesus. And, and Jesus explains to them how how he fulfilled all the law and all the prophets. He, he explains all that happened. They're amazed, and they still don't know who he is. And, and they come to Emmaus, and it's evening time. And Jesus is going to travel on, and they convince him to stay with them. And they go, and they have dinner together. And, and it says this in Scripture. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. I don't think it's coincidence that it was around the table, around the meal, that their eyes are open, and they see Jesus. It's in the intimacy of this meal that our eyes are open, and we see Jesus for who he is. Here, we meet God and we taste his grace that is enough that he would sacrifice his own son for us. Here we meet Jesus and we taste his love that is great enough that he would die for us. Here we meet the Holy Spirit and we get a taste of his power that is great enough to be able to transform all of our lives now and for eternity. We meet around this table together as community, as the family of God. And we meet around this table together and we meet Jesus together. Let's pray together that we'll recognize him. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to sit around your table because it is around your table that we see you and recognize you in a new way. And so as we share communion, I pray that we would know you more and more. And as we share it together, I pray that we become community more and more. We recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I ask that you would make us community that even outside of this table, shares life together as we eat together. Build relationships amongst us and within this community, Father, that are deep and true, that are spiritual, that are loving, that are gracious. Places where we are known and we can know each other. I know, Father, that Satan would love to keep our relationships surface. Father, give us a deep desire to be family together. Bring us around a table together. 